My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the Scripture readings for this, the last of our midweek Latin services. The first reading from the 53rd chapter of the prophet Isaiah. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that made us whole. With his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked, 
and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. And yet it was the will of the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When he makes himself an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand, he shall see the fruit of the travail of his soul, and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and was numbered with the transgressors. And yet he bore the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. The Passion reading from St. Matthew, the 27th chapter. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they went out, they came upon a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and this man they compelled to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink mingled with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink of it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. And then they sat down, and they kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, then come down from the cross. And so also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now. If he desires him, for he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. And now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried again with a loud voice, and he yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. And the tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city, and they appeared unto many. And when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe, and they said, Truly this was the Son of God. 
And there were also many women there looking on from afar who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him. Among them were Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. And when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. And he went to Pilate, and he asked for the body of Jesus. And then Pilate ordered it to be given him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the tomb, and he departed. And Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite of the sepulcher. Next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how the impostor said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise again. Therefore order the sepulcher to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away, and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers, go. Make it as secure as you can. And so they went, and they made the sepulcher secure by sealing the stone and by setting a guard. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. Deliver me, O Lord, my God, for you are the God of my salvation. Rescue me from my enemies. Protect me from those who rise against me. In you, O Lord, do I put my trust. Leave me not, O Lord my God. Rescue me from my enemies. Protect me from those who rise against me. Deliver me, O Lord my God, for you are the God of my salvation. Rescue me from my enemies. Protect me from
grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear friends in our Lord, over the course of this Lenten season we've been guided in our Lenten meditation upon the suffering and death of our Lord Jesus by his crucifixion wounds. We've considered his holy nail-pierced hands. We've marveled at where his feet have gone for us. We found assurance in reaching with eyes and hands of faith into the Lord's pierced side, from whence water and blood once flowed. Last week we pondered the sacred head of our Lord, which he devoted to our greatest need. While these all speak volumes to us about just what our Lord was willing to undergo for us and to suffer for us, they all unanimously testify also to this. Crucifixion was a horrific and an agonizing event. Mel Gibson's motion picture, which I'm sure many of you have seen, The Passion of the Christ, it came out some five or six years ago now, I suppose. The picture depicts in graphically gruesome detail the sheer brutality of this form of, of execution for which the Romans were famous and which they, as one could put it, which they perfected. From start to finish, the event was designed to be brutal. There was no first century anesthetic to deaden the pain of the condemned. There was no one standing by to ensure that death would come with the most ease and comfort possible. In fact, it was just the opposite. There were those ready and those waiting to magnify the pain should the pain of the punishment somehow slip back into the realm of bearable. There were those standing by to ensure that that there would be as little ease and as little comfort in this death as Romanly possible. You simply recall the tools of the terrible trade, the flagellum. The flagellum was a leather whip with which to scourge the criminal, one that had shards of metal or chips of bone attached to the ends of the leather strips. They would sink deep into the tender flesh like talons, sink into the flesh of of the one being whipped, and you can imagine the stripes, the crimson stripes they would leave as it was yanked away, pulled away from the victim's back. Or recall the nails, large enough to be driven by a hammer right through the hand or right through the wrist and into the wooden vertical or horizontal beams of the cross. Don't forget the fists of the Roman soldiers, for these men were not at all shy about using them to humiliate or to dominate the condemned. And then there was the sword to prod and the spear to poke or puncture or pierce, as was the case in our Lord's case. Sometimes the, the club to break the legs of the crucified in order to hurry along the dying process, now becoming a death by suffocation as the legs could no longer support the body. And it would crush, the weight of the body would crush the lungs. And then there was the bare and the naked place where the crucified would hang out in the open air for passers-by to see as they were, in Jerusalem's case, entering the city or going out of the city. There were the birds of prey and the scavengers that would come to, to pick on the flesh of the one fixed to the cross. Beyond all these, consider, too, the active insult that was undertaken as sport. Like salt rubbed in a wound, deep in a wound, there was the jeering and the taunting. In Christ's case, a crown of thorns pressed onto his head in a mock coronation. The crucifixion event itself was perhaps beyond brutal. Beyond brutal so that at times even the very execution of the execution 
process was exhausting even for the Roman soldiers. But no movie, I tell you, no movie, no matter how graphic, and no human or angelic imagination could ever capture or comprehend the magnitude of our Lord's greatest suffering of all. Of them all, the most devastating wound our Lord received was the blow to his soul. We not only have trouble imagining it, I think it's safe to say that we tend to forget it, that wound. But remember, our Lord wasn't the only one ever crucified. Other hands like his were pierced, other feet run through. Likely the spear in the side was the common way to ensure that the victim, who appeared dead, was indeed dead. It may too have been the case that others had been mockingly crowned with thorns from a nearby bush. Certainly, though, certainly never discount his wounded hands and feet and side and that, that sacred head brutally beaten for us, while others may have experienced crucifixion never before, and never again would God endure these stripes for his creature. And never before, and never again would anyone suffer in the way in which our Lord did suffer when he was inflicted with our wounds. But more than any other wound, it was his soul that bore the height of untold anguish. In our hope opening hymn tonight, we sang this, but the deepest stroke that pierced him was the stroke that justice gave. Now we're not singing about Roman justice, we're singing about divine justice. Divine justice. Sin, you see, requires consequences. For every sinful action, there is, you see, an equal and opposite reaction. The physics, you could say, of sin. For every sinful action, an equal and opposite reaction, and I do mean equal as God sees it. Now, if we were to consider what consequences we think sin ought to deserve, then likely we'd conclude that it would all depend upon the nature of the sin. And we'd weigh, well, how heavy or light would we weigh the sin, perhaps, of thinking a lewd thought? Or how about the, the sin of speaking of one behind his back? Or how about simply the picking and eating of fruit forbidden? But what does the Lord God, in his justice, declare? He says that in the day that you eat of it, or that you think of it, or that you speak of it, you shall surely die. And that's what sin does. That's what sin does. That's what the condition of sin earns. Those are the wages of sin. Death. As Paul writes, in the death that sin earns is far more than simply here our, our temporal death. When here below the heart stops beating and our lungs stop breathing, blood stops flowing. No, the totality of it is far, far more. Paul describes it as punishment of, quote, everlasting destruction. Removed from, he writes, the presence of the Lord. Now you think of it. Think about it, how grave those simple sins seem now. Everlasting destruction. Where, Scripture says, the worm of decay does not die and the fire is not quenched and there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Even to think of sin's consequences is unsettling for us, as it well should be, as it should be. But it is tonight necessary. It's necessary that we think on it. It's necessary because only by doing so can we begin to realize the enormity of grief and sorrow which our Lord bore not only in his body but in his soul as well. You see, justice didn't just go away. Justice can't just go away. Justice is what required Christ to go to the cross. The scriptures say of God, God is faithful and just. And he'll always be faithful and he can be no other, but he's always just and he can be no other. God is faithful, faithful and just, and so justice had to be served. The everlasting destruction had to be done. The soul had to be abandoned. The fire had to burn. The pain that results in weeping and gnashing of teeth, it had to be intimately known. And it was. It was. All of it. All of it that ever our sins earned or ever will earn. And not only ours, friends, but the sins of St. John writes in his epistle, the whole world. All of it. All of the damnation due mankind from earth's first day to its last. It was in that monumental hour visited upon the soul and in the suffering of that one divine man, Jesus Christ. Now realizing how fearsome and crushing the load he bore, how much more vivid now the words of the psalmist that we sang earlier tonight, the beautiful words of the 22nd Psalm, a prophetic psalm. Words of the Messiah, the suffering Messiah himself. Words, as you'll recall, that went like this, my heart is like wax. It has melted within me and no wonder, considering the suffering, realizing how very alone Jesus was when God, his own father, left him in utter and outer darkness. When God deserted him, he turned away from him, his back on him. He left him to languish on the cross because his son was covered in our sin. Realizing it, how much more chilling the words our Lord cried out in the solitude of his suffering. You heard them tonight. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You begin to see the, the immensity of this wound to his soul. Hell's eternity. And it's very real. Hell's eternity, yours and mine and everyone's. Visited, placed upon him. Realizing then how devastating his grief and sorrow, how much sweeter then to us those words of Isaiah when he says, He has borne our griefs. You heard it tonight. And he has carried our sorrows, the chastisement for our peace was placed squarely upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. And I assure you, so that your own soul may rest forever in peace. He didn't do this grudgingly. He bore it for you willingly and gladly. For Remember and never forget. But remember what the same prophet says in the, in the same text that you heard earlier tonight. He says, it pleased the Lord... 
to bruise him. Imagine. It pleased the Lord to bruise him and not you and not me, but him. To pour out, it says, his soul unto death to make his soul an offering for sin. And and Isaiah continues, and he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. My friends, when in our souls we think on Christ... And his anguished question, my God, why have you forsaken me? The answer is we must conclude our sins. That's why. But when we think on our sin, and in our souls contemplate the question, my God, why do you remain with me? The answer is Christ. And because Jesus was forsaken, God will ever remain with you. And nothing in this world can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And therefore called upon him in the day of trouble. And he will not forsake you. Call upon him when the day's troubles stack up, when the money's tight. And layoffs are looming. When friends are scarce and when your strength seems to be drying up. And when loneliness is your most consistent and constant companion, and when life makes you weary, call upon him. For he is ever near, and he will not forsake, and he will, as he promised, deliver you. Call upon him when those sins of yours revisit your memory, and when the foolishness of yesteryear, or even yesterday, weighs heavy on your soul. Call upon him, for in that very hour he will remind you whose soul it was, That freed your soul from worry. Call upon him. He'll remind you whose soul grew weary. So that yours might ever be refreshed. Call upon him. And he'll remind you whose blessed soul was forsaken. So that in life and in death. Yours never, ever, ever will be. Over the past several weeks. We've been guided in our Lenten reflection upon the passion and the death of our Lord Jesus by his wounds. Those five precious wounds that he sustained for us. I leave you tonight with the words of the Lutheran John Gerhardt, who himself meditating upon the same, wrote this. Whenever I meditate upon the suffering of my Lord, I cannot but venture a great, a great deal in respect to the love of God. He bends his head to kiss me. He extends his arms to embrace me. He opens his hands to bestow gifts upon me. He opens his side that I may behold his heart glowing with love for me. His wounds, he writes, are livid with grief. And yet gleaming with love. Truly, with him is plenteous redemption. For not a drop only, but streams of blood flowed from five parts of his body. He was condemned, he writes, on earth. That we might be acquitted in heaven. He was forsaken by God that he might prepare for us an everlasting habitation with God. He cried out with bitter pain to save us from eternal wailings. He shed tears upon earth that he might wipe away all tears from our eyes in heaven. He died that we might live. And he concludes by saying, thy sins must be punished. 
But God has already punished them in his own son. Great are the wounds of thy sin, but precious, he says, is the balm of Christ's blood, thy passion then. O holy and gracious Christ, is my last and only refuge. A blessed Lenten tide to you all. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Be present, merciful God, and protect us through the hours of this night so that we who are wearied by the changes and the chances of life may find our rest in you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Guide us, O Lord, while waking, and guard us while sleeping, that awake we may watch with Christ, and asleep we may rest in peace. Eternal God, the hours both of day and night are yours. And to you the darkness is no threat. Be present, we pray, with those who labor in these hours of night, especially those who watch and work on behalf of others. Grant them diligence in their watching, faithfulness in their service, courage in danger, 
competence in emergencies, help them to meet the needs of others with confidence and compassion through Jesus Christ our Lord. Guide us, O Lord, while waking, guard us while sleeping, that awake we may watch with Christ, and asleep we may rest in peace. Abide with us, Lord, for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. Abide with us and with your whole church. Abide with us at the end of the day, at the end of our life, at the end of the world. Abide with us with your grace and goodness, with your holy word and sacrament, with your strength and blessing. Abide with us when the night of affliction and temptation comes upon us, the night of fear and despair, the night when death draws near. Abide with us and with all the faithful now and forever. Guide us, O Lord, while waking, and guard us while sleeping, that awake we may watch with Christ, and asleep we may rest in peace. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Gracious Heavenly Father, you did once offer up your only begotten Son that by his wounds we would be healed. We ask that you keep our eyes fixed on our Lord Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. May we ever recognize in his precious wounds our refuge from all guilt, the forgiveness of all sin, and the promise of life everlasting. Amen. The Almighty and Most Merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you and keep you. Amen. Amen.